Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason Tyrell. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. I have the privilege of sharing from God's Word this morning. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, that's where we will be. If you're using the Bibles that are in front of you, it's page 223. Uh, while you're turning there, mindful uh, to ask the body for prayer this Thursday evening through Saturday afternoon. Uh, if you would pray for us as elders, we are going away for a couple days to uh, do some planning, discussion, prayer. Uh, for, on behalf of, of you all, pray that we would serve you well in that time. The Lord would be honored in it. We appreciate your prayers. The book of Ruth captivates the reader on multiple levels. It causes us to ask questions like, is God still at work in the nation of Israel during the time of the judges, even though His people are rebelling against Him, doing whatever is right in their own eyes? Is God sovereign over the events of our lives? Can He be trusted when our lot is bitter? Can the believer have hope in the midst of a bitter providence? Does God love and care for His people? Ruth is such a painful and hopeful and beautiful story. For us on this side of the cross, we need regular reminders that in Christ, we can trust that all things work together for good. Do you believe that? And that good ultimately on this side of eternity and forever actually is conformity to the image of Christ. That is the great good He is working out in our lives. For the believer, the pains of this life in a broken world are the only time... I stole this line, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to just pretend I, I, I said it. We just started the suffering class. The pains of this life of living in a broken world, this is the only opportunity you will ever have to glorify God through suffering. The only time. And there is a, a special beauty to God being glorified in times of suffering and pain. And we can glorify Him and honor Him knowing that He loves us even when we don't feel it. And all of it will make sense one day. In chapter 2, Ruth went out into the fields of Bethlehem hoping to gather enough food to provide dinner and breakfast for her and Naomi. And coincidentally, she ended up in the fields of Boaz, one of their family's redeemers. Boaz lavished Ruth with abundant provisions, more than this foreign widow could have ever hoped for. And she delightedly came home to Naomi with, with enough food for over two weeks' worth of meals. And they rejoiced together at how the Lord had blessed them through Boaz. And yet the chapter ended with a reminder. It ended with this, this little sentence, and she lived with her mother-in-law. It reminded us that their situation was still the same. Naomi was a widow who had lost both of her children and had no grandchildren. Ruth was a widow who was consigned, 
by, willingly, I want to make that clear, willingly consigned to worship Naomi's God and serve her till the day of death as a widow. And this morning we're going to look at chapter 3. The story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz goes into the dark. As believers, when you hear the word darkness, what comes to your mind? It's okay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Evil. Sin, right? Satan himself is called what? The prince of darkness, right? That, that, that word we're tra- we read in 1 John about darkness. Whoever walks in darkness, right? So we have rightly so and biblically informed ideas about darkness being connoted with sin. Sadly, we know personally that sin often resides in the dark places of our lives. The places that we don't let people in. The, place, the places that we don't want people to see. We are good at living in the darkness. But today, today we will consider a beauty that's found in the darkness. You know, darkness is not bad or scary for the baby bird that hides itself under its mother's wings, right? That place of darkness is not scary. Darkness is not scary for the child who closes her eyes in the arms of her father. Darkness is not scary when we can sing together, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let me hide myself in the rock. Today, we will consider the beauty that's found in a place of darkness. And I'm going I'm to give us two headers for this sermon. Refuge sought and refuge promised. Refuge sought and refuge promised. On this side of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, we are considered to call, or called to consider uh, what a glorious place of refuge is the sheltering wing of your heavenly Father. What an amazing thought it is that He offers refuge, a hiding place for those who rebel against Him. Refuge sought and refuge promised. Let's read Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, her is Ruth, by the way, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. This is such a a beautiful story. And uh, we thank you that we get to consider your great redeeming work, not only in the life of of Ruth and Naomi, but in our lives, and that you are a place of shelter for those whose trust is in you. I pray that my words would be faithful to your word and that you would work in each of our hearts to transform us more and more into the image of your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I said it the last two weeks, I'll say it again right now, I'm probably going to say it again in two weeks when I preach. The three, the three main uh, characters in this book, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, stand as uh, living examples of sacrificial love toward one another throughout the book. Did you ever notice when you read through the book of Ruth that it takes shape as just like there's an interaction here between these people, an interaction, it's... Of the 85 verses in the book of Ruth, about 55 to 60 of those verses account just personal interactions between one person and another or somebody with a group of people. It's a lot of that interpersonal, and that's not an accident. Uh, I think it helps us to see the emphasis on personal, sacrificial love. And here at the start of chapter 3, we see Naomi with great concern that her daughter, she refers to her repeatedly, daughter, daughter, daughter. Ruth is Naomi's daughter. Not her daughter-in-law, her daughter. And we see that she's concerned, not primarily with Elimelech's name being perpetuated, but with her daughter finding rest, with her daughter being cared for. Naomi is going to be the fulfillment of her own blessing in, in 1.9. Remember that in 1.9 a couple weeks ago? What does, what does Naomi say to Ruth and Orpah? She says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. 
she blessed the ladies in this way, hoping that they would go back to their homeland of Moab, stay there. But Ruth went with her, and now Naomi wants to become the means by which her own blessing is fulfilled, that Ruth would find rest, that she would be cared for, provided for, protected. And Naomi has a plan. This is a bold plan. I mean, when you read Ruth chapter 3, did you read it throughout this week? Did you take a look at it? Maybe some of you have read it before. This is kind of a, uh, I think I can say, scandalous plan. She is going to send Ruth to the threshing floor. You are all familiar with the threshing floor. I'm sure some of you were working on it this morning. Uh, Larry was threshing last night. Yeah. The threshing floor, downhill, downwind from Bethlehem, outside of town. It's the place where after the harvest was taken in, the, the winnower would take the pitchfork and throw the, throw the wheat up into the air and the chaff would scatter, the straw and the kernels would fall closer to them and they'd separate, right? The, the, wheat or the uh, straw would be the food for the animals, the kernels of wheat would be the produce, that would be what they would sell or use to eat. And so Boaz is down there winnowing. Uh, and, and Naomi says, uh, I got a plan. Uh, he's down there and he's going to be happy. They got a harvest. Remember, this was a place that was uh, going through or had gone through severe famine. And now they have a huge harvest. And Boaz is going to be doing the work and having his workers do the work. And they're going to be celebrating and they're going to be eating and drinking. And she says, Wait, you go, you keep your eye out, and you wait. You wait till Boaz goes to sleep. And you're, you're going to go. So, so it's, it's notable that in the beginning of chapter 2, Naomi consents to Ruth during the day going out into the unknown. She doesn't know what she's going to find when she goes out into the fields. In chapter 3, she tells Ruth to go into the dark. But, but who's in the dark is the known is the one who she feels she can trust. And so she sends Ruth to Boaz and tells her, that here's the plan, you're going to uncover his feet and lay down, and he's going to tell you what to do. Now, it's the year 2024, and we're here in America, and we read that story, and we're like, what is happening here? She, so Ruth is going to show up pull his blanket up a little bit so that his feet are hanging out and she's going to lay by his feet? Like, that's what's going to happen here? Yeah, that's what's going to happen here. That is what's going to happen here. She wants Ruth to try and take full shelter under their family redeemer. She's hoping that Boaz is going to see her and offer to marry her. She sends Ruth into the darkness and, he, and the reader is left to wonder, it's not a mistake that this happens, okay? The Lord is sovereign over all things. And the reader is left to wonder, is Ruth going to act more nobly than, say, Noah's son, Ham, did when his father lay asleep? Is, is Ruth going to act more nobly? I think I've referenced this before. Do we know where the nation of Moab came from? The darkness of Lot and his daughters, Genesis chapter 19. And here is this Moabite woman 
birthed out, a nation birthed out of the most vile sin. Will Ruth be a typical Moabite? Will Ruth and Boaz act more nobly than Judah and Tamar did in perpetuating Judah's line? By the way, what line are we, are we dealing with in the book of Ruth? Judah's. Will they act more notably or, or nobly than Judah? What's going to happen in the darkness? The threshing floor, just so we're aware, the threshing floor was notorious as a hotbed of, of wickedness and sin. And so you're left at this point, that the original reader is left to say like, this is a terrible idea and a terrible scenario. Bad things are going to happen. But Ruth obeys Naomi. Ruth does what Naomi says. She says, okay, I'll do, I will do that. And she waits until Boaz has gone to sleep. And I want to be really clear. I, I don't think, there are some who say Boaz got drunk and she was going to basically take advantage of his drunken state. I don't see any evidence that that's the case. I mean, he gets up and he's sober-minded the moment that he wakes up, right? He's not like, oh, yeah. Like, he's, he's speaking clearly right out of the gate. And Boaz has shown himself to be a noble man. So I, I think he was just, it was a time of happiness. There was merry made. They ate and they drank and he had a pile of grain at the end of it. And he's going to lay not near it because he wants to protect his prophets. I'm not letting anybody come in here at night and steal my stuff. She uncovers his feet and waits. And, and again, this phrase, she uncovers his feet, in some places in Scripture, is another word for something wicked happening. But that's not the case here. The reader is supposed to see that nothing wicked happened here. As the cool breeze of the night blows across Boaz's exposed feet, he wakes up and he's startled to see a shadow. You would be startled, right? Like you wake up in the middle of the night and there's like somebody laying at your feet. I have a dog that lays in my spot in the bed and I still get startled when I wake up in the middle of the night and she has pushed me off the bed. Uh, but... In the darkness of the night, Boaz is startled and he looks down and he says, like, who, who are you? Did you notice at, at, at points in this chapter, it says, like, it refers to them as the man and the woman. It stops using their names in different points. It's, this is the motif. You're trying to, you're, they're taking you into the darkness. They are the man and the woman. And so he wakes up, questions her. And Ruth takes the initiative. She goes beyond what Naomi told her to do. Naomi said, you just wait. Wait and see what he says. What does Ruth do? Ruth proposes to Boaz. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth proposed, this is crazy. 
Ruth proposes to Boaz. She's saying to Boaz, you blessed me in chapter 2? Yet Naomi wanted to help Ruth fulfill her own blessing. Boaz said in 2.12, right, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is saying to Boaz, you be the refuge. You are our family's place of refuge on the earth. She still acknowledges that she's a servant, but she's also boldly approaching her Redeemer and asking for what she would have never thought she was entitled to because she was not entitled to it as a foreigner. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. What are we but beggars in need of mercy? Outcasts in need of grace. And we're in a worse estate than Ruth was because we're outcasts by our own efforts. Not by the nation that we were born into. Outcasts by nature and by choice. Strangers and aliens uh, to God's good providences. Uh, to God's good graces by means of our desire to rule our own lives and not submit to the Lord as King and not want to take shelter under Him who invites His people to do so. Imagine, if you will, before Ruth asked Boaz to be her Redeemer, imagine if she had burned down Boaz's house, stolen all the wheat he just winnowed, and then said, by the way, can you shelter me and marry me? Such is our estate. We who disregard the gifts that God gives to us, even using them for wicked purposes, whose love for God and others is terribly weak. There is really no hope of anything positive happening for us when we stand before God. Ruth was a worthy woman in the eyes of Bethlehem, but we are unworthy in the courts of heaven unless the Lord would be willing to show us mercy. Boaz commends Ruth at this word. She says, spread your wings over me. And he says, blessed. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. This last kindness was Ruth's willingness to forsake what she could have gone after. Right? We, we said last week that Boaz kept her in the fields to protect her. Maybe one of the things he was trying to protect her from was finding a husband somewhere else. Ruth was apparently still young and attractive and marriageable. And he says to her, this last kindness is greater than the first. You sacrificed your life to come from Moab to Bethlehem to serve your mother-in-law, and now you're sacrificing what you could have and who you could pursue to honor the family of your mother-in-law. 
Ruth loved Naomi. And Naomi loved Ruth. And Boaz loved them both. This story is the story of mutual sacrificial love and God being faithful to His promises. Boaz marvels at all that Ruth is giving up for the good of her mother-in-law and their family name. A family name that was not her family's name when she was born. And while I believe, and I'm going to focus more, that the primary takeaway for us is to see how much more merciful and gracious God is to us than these characters are to each other, and how His sovereign purposes prevail through all of our trials, I would be foolish not to at least let us stop and and say, like, we are to be challenged by the actions of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. The world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. How? By the love that we have for one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's like a knife to the heart. I mean, just, just, just to let those words... just. That's four verses of Scripture, right? Uh, the call of God's people toward one another. Love not, is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it rejoices with truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And if I took every one of those and applied them to my own life, For the past six hours, two days, like, ah, man. We simultaneously, as believers in Christ, are stabbed in the heart by those words because we know how far short we fall And at the same time, we have in us like, yes, that's wonderful. I want to do those things. I I want to be all of those things. And it is God's call on our lives. Love one another. It's not like, that's what I'm suggesting. But if you don't get to do that, what are you going to do? The call in the lives of believers is love one another. Mutual sacrifice. Submission of my will and my desires for the good of the other. And we see that playing out. We read this book and and it's touching and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then if somebody were to say like, well, okay, we're called to love in the same exact way as Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi are called to love. (sighs) What a toad I am. And all we can do 
when we feel these things and we see the reality of these things within ourselves, is throw ourselves at the feet of the King and beg for His mercy and His protection and His power to honor Him more should He let us live. And I have some good news coming soon. But our second point this morning, so that was refuge. What did I say? I had a P. Refuge. Sought. That had a P. <laughs> Tell me where the P is in, in sought later. Uh, <laughs> uh, refuge sought and refuge promised. There's a P in that. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, Boaz answers Ruth with these wonderful words. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Ruth was no longer seen as a foreigner. Right? She was being seen as, as an Israelite. Her reputation was not that of a despised and mistrusted outcast alien. Boaz was going to make sure that her request was granted. But there is one little wrinkle in the plan. Right? You feel like the middle of chapter 3 is like the story is ending. Not quite. There's a Redeemer nearer than I. There's somebody else who has the first right uh, to, to accept you, to, to marry you and take the land uh, of your family. So Naomi has gone from no Redeemers to too many Redeemers. And Boaz, again, see the nobility of Boaz, right? He could have just said, like, let's, let's just do this. Let's, you know, no, we're gonna, we are going to do it the way that honors God. He's unwilling to skip over the part of the process that's uncomfortable. And it may well be that Ruth ends up with another man. And if that's the case, so be it. Boaz assures Ruth that she will be redeemed. He would not yet spread his wings over her, but she would be sheltered. Boaz gives further assurance that he will do what he said he would do with a couple more acts of kindness and protection in this scene, right? First of all, he tells Ruth to stay at the threshing floor until the morning. Why? Why wouldn't he want to just get her out of there so there's no... no hints of, of problems or allegations. Well, I think, first of all, he knows what kind of people are hanging out outside in the middle of the night. Whether it's a man who might take advantage of her or that she would be seen outside and gain a reputation that is not rightly deserved, he wanted to protect her from both of those things. And that's a good word. I just stop. Husbands. Boyfriends, fiancés, does the way you are acting toward the women in your lives show that you desire to protect their good name and reputation? Are you acting in a noble way toward the ladies in your lives? Ruth is protected by Boaz. And he tells her, Above and beyond this, so it's, it's morning time. Ruth wakes up before they could even recognize one another. And Boaz says, you know, did you, did you look at, look at uh, verse 14? 
He said, let it not be known that, that the woman came to the threshing floor. Who's he talking to? And the answer? I don't know. He could, it could be that there were, there were probably other workers who slept at the threshing floor. You know, they had worked hard. They had, they had labored. So it could be that there were other workers there. It could be that it was just, it's an expression of his internal dialogue of like, hey, I don't, I don't want her to be seen in this way. I don't want salacious gossip to be spread about her or about us. But before she could go, one more thing. He says, you're not going home empty-handed. That phrase is, again, a not a throwaway. Naomi said to the women of Bethlehem when she, at the end of chapter 1, right? What did, she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. I went away full. And I came back and Boaz is saying in this chapter, you will not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. This is meant to show us that, that the Lord is fulfilling His promises. The Lord has not forgotten Naomi. The Lord has not forgotten Ruth. Boaz sends her back with six measures of barley, which is an interesting amount of barley. I'm sure you all thought that, right? It's less than the amount that she had the day before or whenever before. Uh, but it's a, it's a significant amount. This would be seen as the proper price for a bride. And so Boaz sends Ruth back with this statement. She will be married. She will be married. Whether by me or this other Redeemer, this will happen. And so Ruth returns home to her waiting mother-in-law. Can you imagine, Naomi, maybe a restless night of what's happening? What's, gonna, what's it going to be? And, and Ruth comes home out of the darkness and into the light. And Naomi sees that Ruth has found good reception with Boaz. And before I finish us up here this morning, I just want this to be a reminder to all of us who are trusting in Christ. The Lord saw them and loved them the whole time. He loves you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and He sees you, and He knows what you walk through, and He hasn't forgotten you, even when it feels that way. But chapter 3 leaves us again on the edge of a cliff. Because we don't know who's going to redeem Ruth. But the last verse, in the last verse, Naomi assures Ruth, this man, Boaz, will not rest. He'll settle the matter today. These are the bookends of Ruth chapter 3. Naomi is seeking to find rest for Ruth in verse 1. And at the end of chapter 3, she tells Ruth, this guy is not going to rest until he takes care of you. There is a Redeemer who did not rest until his work was done. Ours is a family line that deserves to be cut off 
the offspring of Adam, not fulfilling the calling that the Lord had placed upon us. And God is so good to make us and place us in His creation. He is so kind to shower us with blessing after blessing after blessing, and yet we reject Him. We go to war against Him. We labor as if we are gods, as if we are the kings and queens of the world. And we will give an account to Him one day. One day very soon. Whether you believe it or not you will stand before the Lord and give an account for the life you have lived. And to the rebels, the Lord says, come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, the perfect Adam, the perfect descendant of the tribe of Judah, Fully God and fully man came and lived a life without sin. A life that perfectly glorified God in every way. And He came that we might have life and life abundant. He came that we would know forgiveness and freedom and restored hope against all odds and against what we deserve. He came that our hearts would be transformed and that we would know peace with God, and He did not rest until the matter was settled. He laid down that perfect life as a sacrifice for our wickedness. A sacrifice that counts on behalf of all who put their faith in Him. And as He breathed out His last, He said, it is finished. Sin was paid for. The Father's holy and righteous wrath against our sin was satisfied. Jesus endured the darkness. He went into the darkness too. He endured the darkness of the grave, but on the third day He rose triumphantly. He ascended into heaven where He ever lives to make intercession for all who call upon Him says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, I'll just read it to you real quick, starting in verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He did not rest until the work was done, but when the work was done, He sat down at the right hand of God. Friends, may our hearts marvel at this. He invites us to come to Him. He knows how unworthy we are and He invites us to come. Hide ourselves in Him. What does it mean to be In Christ, it's a phrase throughout all of Scripture, well, all the New Testament. In Christ, it means that we have taken shelter under His saving wings. I want Him to be the one in whom I am seen, by whom I am protected and guarded. It means that we have taken shelter like a baby bird under His... Jesus Himself said, right? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
How I've longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. We who are in Christ are gathered in that way. Safe, sheltered from the storm of God's wrath. Sheltered from what we deserve by His perfect work. Refuge in Him. Given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of a future inheritance that is ours because of who He is. This is the hope and the joy of the believer, that we might be found in Him. Right? Ruth went to that threshing floor hoping to leave under the protective care of her family's Redeemer. And we have this hope that we might be protected and cared, and we will be protected and cared for by our Redeemer. Here and to the end of our lives and into eternity. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For He who promised is faithful. Boaz makes a promise to Ruth. I'm going to settle this matter. We have a better promise. And so we can hold fast the confession of our hope Wretched sinners can find saving protection in the shadow of Jesus' wings. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to come to the table this morning and be reminded of a work that is finished because our Savior did not rest until He had settled the matter. And it is settled in the courts of heaven. Take joy, take rest, knowing that your mighty Savior is both willing and able to shelter you from the storm of God's righteous wrath and through the pains and the trials of this life. He is faithful. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son, Thank you for the story that we got to read, this true story that reflects your heart for your people, that you are a protecting and saving God toward unworthy and undeserving outcasts. And yet you say, as we sung earlier, that you won't cast out those whose trust is in Christ. So may it be that we would celebrate and rejoice in that if there are some here today who have never place their faith in Christ for salvation, never come under His saving wings. May today be the day of repentance and faith. For you will receive all who come to you. We thank you that we're reminded of that as we take from your table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.